This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9. Good morning. You are listening to The Morning Run. It's 7.06 a.m. on Monday, the 6th of November. I'm Shazana Mokhtar with Wong Shaoning and Keith Kam. Now, in half an hour, we're going to discuss what third quarter earnings reveal about the trajectory of the big tech players amid an uncertain economic climate. But as always, we're going to kickstart this Monday morning with a look at how global markets closed on Friday. It was the best week for stocks for the year 2020 following a soft jobs report which drove bond yields lower. The Dow Jones was up 0.7%. The S&P 500 was up 0.9% and the Nasdaq rose 1.4%. Earlier in the day, Asian markets were also in the green. The Nikkei was up 1.1%. Hong Kong's Hang Seng was up 2.5%. Shanghai's Composite was up 0.7%. Singapore's STI was up 2%. And back home, the FBM KLCI closed 0.7% higher. Well, for some thoughts on where international markets could be heading this week, we speak to Kingsley Jones, Chief Investment Officer at Jevons Global. Kingsley, good morning. Thanks, as always, for joining us. So the rising geopolitical risks in the Middle East and Ukraine may have some investors looking to rebalance their portfolio. What type of assets and in what percentages would a risk-weighted portfolio look like under these circumstances? Well, those weights, obviously, they'll depend a lot on the circumstances and objectives of uh, any given investor. Uh, but, uh, you know, the traditional strategic asset allocation has been 60% equities and 40% bonds. I'd note that that hasn't done very well over the last uh, five years or so because bond yields simply got so low. Um, and also in the period when rates have risen, you've seen capital losses on bonds. So it's been a terribly bad period for bonds up until relatively recently. Um, the other thing I'd mention is in the Australian equity market, you can you can buy stocks with gross yields of 6% or more. Uh, so, you know, you really need bond yields or term deposit rates in Australia to be, you know, around 5% or higher uh, before, you know, that's really a good trade. Mm. Um, and we're seeing that now. Um, I think, therefore, it makes sense at the margin uh, if investors have uh, had very underweight positions in bonds uh, to at least start buying some short duration bonds. Uh, in the United States, this is things like treasury bills, and you can buy those um, in ETFs like SGAV is one of those. Uh, they're nearly as liquid as at-call cash because in an ETF, you can sell them on market. And uh, they're short duration, which means that each bill matures within three months, uh, and that means you have uh, nothing of what's called duration risk. So the capital uh, risk uh, is very small, uh, unlike, say, a long bond, uh, a 10-year bond, for example. Um, they are now hovering around 5%, although they came down yields recently to about 45 uh, We think it's probably too early to be aggressively investing in U.S. Treasuries at 10 years and, and uh, longer. Uh, but it's certainly the time uh, to be thinking about parking some money in these short-duration bills. Kingsley, I want to know what you think the Fed is going to do next based on this weaker-than-expected jobs report that came out on Friday. I think the street is already not expect is forecasting that they're going to cut rates as soon as June next year. Do you believe that? It may happen. Um, I, I'm a little doubtful just because of the persistence of uh, the inflation, at least at moderate levels. Uh, mm. And I guess the big risk here, the big unknown, is uh, just how uncertain things are in the first half of next year uh, with uh, the war um, in uh, the Middle East between uh, Israel and Hamas. 
and obviously what happens with uh, U- Ukraine and Russia. However, I will say, you know, it's an election year next year in the United States. Uh, so other things being equal, it, it probably won't be that bad for equities. Uh, I, I think that should be fine. And on the interest rate side, I, I could see the Fed just sitting here uh, to see how things pan out. They can always cut aggressively now because they've got plenty of spare powder with their guidance, uh, their um, official rate being above 5%. And what did you think of the result season? Well, I think we're almost about 90% done uh, in US. Did you think that the, the numbers were in line with the expectations? They seemed reasonable. Um, what, uh, what concerns us is not uh, the immediate uh, results of these companies, because we are in a, have been in a strong period for the US economy. Our concern is is really the delta, how things are moving. Mm. Uh, and our, our biggest concern there was that unemployment numbers were not as great as expected uh, recently with the BLS report. Uh, so our largest concern, though, is that, as I'm sure listeners are aware, there's, there's been a bit of a factory building boom in the United States, uh, you know, under the Biden IRA, Inflation Reduction Act, and the CHIPS Act. So, you know, lots of semiconductor plants uh, under the um, IRA, Plenty of activity trying to build, um, uh, you know, uh, giga gigafactories uh, to make batteries for EVs, uh, solar panels, and the like. Um, our concern there is that the market might have gotten a bit over enthusiastic on that because you're seeing EV makers all around the world pull back a little bit on their expansion plans. Uh, so we think that some of these um, factories that were factories on paper might get cancelled. If that happens, this construction boom slows. And so we're just really watching out for that. The early signs are that's already happening in green energy. Uh, Some of these solar projects that were built in the US um, already um, look to perhaps be uneconomic, even with the tax credits, uh, because there's been such a fast fall in uh, Chinese panel prices. So we just have to wait and see on that. And obviously, you know, the Danish um, renewable energy giant, Ørsted, they had terrible results uh, in the past week. Uh, and that's because um, cost structure in the United States for doing offshore wind and planning delays and the like have really crueled their plans to make money there. They, they simply can't make it work. So so I think we're probably looking at a slower period of guidance in construction and other activities in the first half of next year. And that's maybe why the Fed is paused. Uh, if it really starts to go over the cliff, and then obviously they'll cut pretty quickly. Kingsley, you brought up EVs. China recently instituted a ban on the export of graphite, which is a key component in EV batteries. Can you break down what this entails for the EV industry in general? Yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, just for the record, there's basically two s- sources of graphite. One is to mine the graphite, the so-called natural flake. The other is to produce graphite synthetically, so-called, by processing, uh, you know, petroleum, coke, and other residue from refining to get the carbon out of it. Now, the interesting thing is that the second one, it sounds kind of a bit messy, and it is, um, but you tend to get a more uniform product by that route. So the Chinese um, really have perfected that method, and uh, their cost structure is a little opaque because of the nature of the enterprises there. And indeed, the price of graphite, whether synthetic or, or natural, got a little low, so low, in fact, that um, a number of the Western companies had to cut production. So our take on it is that China's probably betting on synthetic to rule the roost. And maybe that says that they think they can get costs significantly lower than natural flake. And in this environment of trade wars and sanctions and all the rest of it, uh, it probably looks like a good trade for them. 
just to reserve their synthetic domestically. And it's frankly probably not a bad thing for mining companies outside of China that bet on natural flag because now they'll probably see more robust prices. Kingsley, turning our attention to um, Australia, the International Monetary Fund has called on the RBA to increase rates, but financial markets are saying they're already too high. What's your bet on the central bank's decision when they meet tomorrow, which is coincidentally also Melbourne Cup Day? Yeah, so you you picked that one well. In terms of Melbourne Cup, the, the RBA often sneaks one through because, of course, <laughs> they're holding the meeting around the time when the Cup is run. <laughs> so a little bit of, um, you know... Um, uh, opinion management there in in hoping that the punters won't notice. Um, th- this coming uh, meeting, we don't think they'll raise. Uh, I, there is a, a fairly strong view in the market that they will because they believe rates are too low. But the reason why we uh, think that they won't raise is that there's obviously a lot of pressure on households with high mortgage rates. Uh, the so-called mortgage cliff, where what happened was people who are on lower initial mortgage rates are now seeing their mortgages revert to high rates, and that started roughly mid-year. Um, there's a lot of noises there always is out of uh, the retail sector about you know warning the RBA they shouldn't raise rates, it'll be a terrible Christmas. Um, but our main reason for thinking they won't raise rates is um, with this US pause in further rate rises, uh, the Australian dollars actually started weakening against the US currency. Uh, and that was our biggest fear, and our concern is that if rates were too low in Australia, then the uh, the Aussie might collapse or at least go down below 60 cents, uh, and that risks imported inflation, mm. particularly with fuel prices high, and Australia imports most of its fuel, you know, diesel and uh, gasoline. So anyway, given that the Aussie's rising not right now, I don't think the RBA would see any immediate reason to raise rates. They'll probably just sit tight. And indeed, if the Aussie appreciates more, you know, that's beneficial on import prices. Uh, so we think that they may even extend this pause into the first half of next year because there's only this meeting and the next one in December left. All right, Kingsley, thanks as always for the chat. That was Kingsley Jones, Chief Investment Officer with Jevons Global, giving us his take on some of the trends that he sees moving markets in the days and weeks ahead. I'm going to be interested to find out what's happening with uh, Albanese's visit to China in terms of the contribution towards the Australian economy because prior to the breakdown in relations, and this is Albanese's, the first Australian Prime Minister's visit to China in seven years, China was Australia's major trading partner. Mm. Wine, lobster, barley, uh, dairy products all went to China. And then for the longest time, nothing much happened. And even the winemakers, uh, the vineyards in Australia were complaining about this. So let's see the contribution in terms of the uh, economics. Of course, of course, a lot of commodities that is mined in Australia also goes to China in one way or another. I'm, I'm very interested in what he said about uh, a graphite that's, that's, that's synthetic. And I wonder if that might eventually see cheaper electric vehicles coming out of uh, China. And if it is, it might change some people's decision on whether or not to switch. Not going to change ours, though, for as long as we have that AP cap of 100,000 uh, ringgit for imported EV cars. But in any 
case, let's take a look very quickly at some of the international headlines that have crossed our table. Uh, can we take a look at Berkshire Hathaway? So Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway posted its first quarterly loss in a year, while the cash pile reached a fresh record of 157.2 billion US dollars. This is as the firm sold 5.3 billion dollars more stocks than it bought, and also slowed repurchases of its own stock. The Omaha-based conglomerate's operating earnings came in at 10.76 billion dollars last quarter, which is 41 percent higher than the 7.65 billion it earned from the same quarter a year ago. The net loss more than quadrupled to 12.77 billion dollars. And Berkshire Hathaway has also been taking advantage of surging bond yields, buying up short-term treasury treasury bills, yielding at least five percent. Guess what? He sounded even more cautious than ever. He's been cautious for the last I 20 years. I feel like years. this cash pile has just been growing and growing. He's like that dragon in um, The Hobbit, you know. He's just sitting on his pile of gold. Anyways, continue. Okay. <laughs> you, I've got that blank look on my face, obviously. <laughs> Benedict Cumberbatch. Uh, yeah, but the point is the cash deployment is definitely slowing down. And I think I wonder at what point is he going to feel the pressure to start putting cash to work? Because... Okay, yes, cash is no longer trash. The yields are very attractive. You can get quite high returns. But at some point, if I'm the shareholder, I can manage cash on my own. I don't need you to manage it. Well, that's uh, coming up to 7.19am. We are going to take a quick break, but we will come back with more of the top stories in the newspapers and portals this morning. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.